Hi everyone, this is Maxine Ryan with Prosper Podcast and today's guest is Robert Ross from TikToks. Robert is a, an amazing creator um, and his journey as a creator has been very impressive. He has over half a million people following his every move on social media, wanting to know what his positions in the stock market is and what market trends that he is picking up on. Um, so Robert, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like I love talking to different creators and understanding like who were they before they kind of got into this like you know, creator in the financial space type of person. Like, who were you before TikToks? Well, that that's kind of the cool thing about the TikToks account is that I've actually been doing this for basically my entire career. TikToks in the, you know, basically turning my research into videos is just a new medium to kind of express those ideas. Um, so, you know, I, I've worked in the investment research industry basically my entire career basically explaining what's happening in the markets to retail investors. Um, so, you know, it mainly for an older audience. So I, I now run my own company, but I used to work for a company called Malden Economics, which is pr- predominantly like, for lack of a better word, mostly boomers in the yeah. audience. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's much like safer investment strategies. Like I was like, you know, covering lots of like dividend paying stocks, you know, like not the sexiest strategies. Um, but the cool thing about the tick stock stuff is that I can basically cover whatever I want. Um, so that's not to say that I don't own dividend paying stocks. I own plenty. Uh, but, you know, I can cover, you know, new IPOs. I can cover growth stocks. I can cover cryptocurrencies and I can cover, you know, macroeconomic topics and cover whatever I want. Um, so, yeah, I've been doing this a long time. Yeah, actually, I think that's a really good segue into um, talking about like the type of content that you create. Um, I feel as though a lot of these, I don't know, a lot of the content that's out there is kind of like almost like modern investing. It's kind of, um, you know, they still really focus on like the fundamentals, but there's already so much information on there that I feel like creators are kind of like unearthing a lot of this like stuff about crypto, um, like IPOs. Like what's, what's your take on the different types of content that people are creating? Is it mostly kind of like what the modern portfolio looks like or is it still kind of a lot on like the traditional side? Yeah, so I I think there's a lot of like whether you want to call it modern portfolio or like you know the high I call them just like high risk portfolios. So that's really <laughs> what like all these young people want. They yeah. want the stuff that has the potential to you know like five x in like six months or three months or whatever. Um, what I try and do is kind of like take all that enthusiasm and kind of like give it some structure, mm. um, which, which is what I do kind of with the TikToks account at this point. Um, because again, I come from like a more traditional background. Um, where uh, it's, uh, sorry, I just moved, moved you over there. That, that, that's much more natural uh, with the camera there. Um, so I kind of take like all that enthusiasm though and kind of like give it some form. You know, it doesn't mean that you can't speculate on stuff on like high growth stocks, cryptocurrencies and everything. But I think what I try and say is that you just need to, you know, size those bets accordingly. Otherwise, you know, like in, you know, the 20, second half of 2020, uh, second half of 2020, early 21, you know, you could throw a dart at any growth stock or SPAC mm. and double your money in a few weeks. Um, so everyone's like, oh, like investing's easy, all this stuff. I was like, well, you know, this isn't yeah. going to last forever. Everybody's um, like a pro trader when it's a bull run. Like- <laughs> yeah, oh, everybody, everybody's a genius in a bull market. Um, so I think what I, a lot of people kind of, you know, realize, you know, maybe investing really isn't that easy and you want to have, you know, different types of non-correlated assets. Cause I mean, a lot of people, like I lost money in this growth stock pullback for sure, but I had a diversified portfolio, but a lot of my people on Patreon were just like, 
you know, like what, what is happening here? Like I just <laughs> lost like 50% of my money. I was like, well, do you just own growth stocks? And yeah. a lot of them did. Um, so I think a lot of people are learned a hard lesson about investing then, which is really the best way to learn it because you can talk until you're blue in the face about diversification and downside risk and all this stuff. But until it actually happens to you, um, it's, it's hard to really understand it. Absolutely. And I think like one of the benefits right now of, um, you know, financial literacy on social media and all this type of stuff is that you do have like the younger generation and they can kind of make these mistakes early on. Um, a lot of people, they start their investing journey like way too late and all of a sudden they're taking risks that they just really can't afford. But I feel as though, you know, when you're young, if you like, you, you got a lot more time is what I'm saying. Exactly. And I think that's, that's one thing that's great about this generation. Like, I don't think I bought my first stock until I was like 23 or 24. Yeah. I have like 15, 16 year old kids asking like how they set up a brokerage account and all this stuff. They're going to be way ahead of the point that I'm at right now yeah. if they continue on that path. Um, so I'm re really jealous of this generation getting started so early. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, like you're one of like the main people leading it. So um, I feel like you've just got like an amazing kind of like journey ahead of you. But, you know, how did you get started in the stock market? Like you said that you kind of started your journey, like maybe a little later than like the younger generation right now. Um, yeah. How did you get your start? Uh, so I first got interested in it. I have a degree in economics, so I was kind of interested in, you know, macroeconomic theory, all that kind of stuff. And um, I took this class in college um, and it was all it was during the financial crisis. So it's a super interesting time to be in school. That, I'm dating myself saying that. Yeah. Um, but that's it, I got to we basically had to read the Wall Street Journal every day and talk about it and learn about what was actually happening in the real economy. Uh, and that's kind of when I first got interested in the stock market. From there, I took an internship at Merrill Lynch, where I worked there for about uh, six months. Um, then, you know, worked in the think tank industry for, you know, about a year and a half there, um, and then found my way into the investment research space. Um, that's when I really started, you know, doing deep dives um, on markets, kind of combining what I was doing at Merrill Lynch with the writing and research I was doing at the think tank, um, and kind of merged those things together um, into the, the investment research market. And but that's where like, I really got deep into it. Yeah, it's like, but you know, were you just like attracted? Like, why did you take that um, that degree in economics? Like, why did you end up getting into finance? I've always been interested in like why people like, to, I've always like been interested in psychology and just like yeah. why people do things, which I think is why I was initially attracted to economics. Um, and then from like the next step there, it's like, well, I don't want to get like a PhD in econ because I'm, I'm, I'm an okay student, but like I would <laughs> rather work. Uh, so I was just trying to figure out ways to kind of like do kind of what I love to do, which, which is research, you know, basically human action and like why people do things, but then apply those same concepts to the investing space, um, which is kind of how I approach investing to, to begin with. I'm much more of a fundamental investor um, than a technical investor, although everybody wants to learn about technical analysis these days. So I've been doing much more content on that <laughs> recently. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of, basically, it was an excuse to do the things that I like and learn about the things that I like is why I got into investing. Yeah, that's good. I always like to hear people's stories. And like, um, I think the most, like the most common thing that I've heard is that people are just interested in the psychology of money, like how the markets work, like how come prices of certain things go up and down. Um, and of course, like how to leverage that for yourself. But what was your first ever trade? first ever trade um i think i bought something like uh, i think it was united health uh oh. because a friend of mine who worked in investment banking uh so i just started i think i had like a 
I had a retirement account that I was paying into, but I didn't really like have, I did a bunch of mutual fund research when I was at Merrill and I was an intern, but I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but I think I just selected one of those and opened this uh, retirement account. But my, my first individual stock was in United Health. My friend who worked in investment banking was like, hey, they're getting added to the S&P 500 index. So they're about to have like all this inflow of capital. Um, so I was like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll buy a few shares of that. But I held on to it, you know, for, I think I actually still have some of it, but it's up, you know, like 350% from there, just because, you know, it's a, who doesn't need health insurance? You know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's the large, largest health insurer in the world. So they did benefit from like, you know, the, the index ad, but overall, you know, it's, it's been a great long-term hold for me. So that was my first one. Yeah. And I mean, like, I, I want to ask you about your like biggest losses, like later on, like your worst ever trades. Cause I feel like that's something that's really important for people to know is that like, even like experts make shitty trades and like, that's totally fine. But, um, you know, something that you said was like super interesting to me was that, um, everybody needs health insurance, right? So like you're kind of aiming for stocks that everybody needs for a long duration of time. Um, you know, everybody needs like shampoo, everybody needs soap, everybody needs transport. Um, are there like certain industries in, um, the stock market that you're kind of like, actually, this is just kind of like a flash in the pan thing. Like it's a short-term yeah, it's a, it's a short-term stock. Like for example, for me, um, it's like these like delivery, uh, food delivery apps and things like that. Like I'm not completely convinced that like that's going to be like a long-term thing. It doesn't, it's not going to grow. Yeah, yeah, that was the first one that came to mind. Like a lot of these companies took advantage of the, um, you know, the, the COVID crash and the, the pandemic to take these companies public because they were making so much money at the time. Like we need to sell at the top right here. Um, so I think the, the, um, uh, the delivery companies like DoorDash, like Uber is a little more diversified. So like yeah. I, I own Uber, but mainly because they're a global brand. And I think ride sharing isn't going away anytime soon. Although I don't know if you, you're in Hong Kong, you said, right? Oh, I'm, I'm in Sydney right now. You're in Sydney. I don't know if you have tried to get an Uber in Sydney here in LA, at least it takes like 15, 20 minutes to get an Uber at this point. Are you nobody, serious? Oh my God. It's terrible. Like, what, wait, cause like nobody's driving or. Because there's, I, my theory is that um, people aren't going back to work here because mm. there's so there's like the enhanced unemployment benefits still going on um, from from the pandemic. Uh, so lots of people aren't taking the the low skill jobs, which you're seeing all across the labor market right now. Like McDonald's is like paying people to like come in and take interviews at this point. Um, so I think we're awesome. seeing it. That, I think we're seeing it the same the same thing with uh, with Ubers though. It's not awesome for me when I'm trying to get an Uber, but <laughs> ride a bike, to... <laughs> ride a bike. It's true. It's true. <laughs> LA is really spread out. So <laughs> yeah, I, I heard that about LA. Like I have never been, but all I hear about LA is like the traffic. Like the culture is amazing. I heard, but like the traffic's a bummer. Um, but you know what? What was like your your would you say that your health insurance um, trade was like your biggest trade? Like what's, what's your biggest gains that you've ever done on a trade? Um, so that, that was a good one. I mean, I bought, I was buying Apple in like 2014, 2015. I still hold all of that. I think that's up, you know, that's four X. That's a four bagger. Um, but I, I've traded options professionally. That's the one thing I did at my old job. Um, so I've had a bunch of big option gains, one of which, um, Cause I'll do a lot of like long-term option plays, like, like leaps on the, on the long side. But I also, and one thing I used to write about a lot, especially like way back from when I was even coming, to, coming out of college was the higher education bubble in the U S yeah. which I just did not seem sustainable to me. So it was in, um, it was in like mid 2019, I bought some long-term puts 
on a company called uh, American Campus Communities, the ticker is ACC, and what they own are, it's a real estate investment trust, but for student housing, which as you can imagine during the COVID crash, you know, there's not even people going to, to college here in the US. Yeah. So it just got completely obliterated. Wasn't like my thesis. I wasn't like, oh, there's gonna be a global pandemic and that's, you know, gonna crash. <laughs> I thought it would just be a long-term decline for ACC. Um, but that that was a very good trade. That was, um, that was over, um, I think it was like 1400%. Wow. That one. So that that's probably my insane. biggest. Um, and I guess like, you know, we, we got to talk about like real stuff. Like what's your biggest loss? Oh, so this is a good, this is a good story. Uh, so this is like right <laughs> when I was first starting out, I was still kind of getting my feet wet a little bit. I already bought, you know, I had my retirement account and I had, you know, my United Health stuff in there. Uh, and then I came across this company called Poseidon Concepts. And you probably have never heard of it because it doesn't exist anymore. No, but, uh, it sounds so, sketchy though. <laughs> oh, I didn't know shit at the time. I was like, you know, bright eyed, you know, she tailed, yeah, <laughs> ready to go. Analyst, yeah, junior equity analyst. <laughs> um, and so this company, though, you know, I was from a fundamental standpoint, looked incredible. You know, I was working on a, a dividend investing product at a company called Casey Research, and. This company had a 7% yield. They were generating all this cash flow. And what they did actually, it was during the fracking boom in the US. Mm. And the issue with fracking was that it would leave over, because how that works is they shoot all this water in the ground and then it comes back up and it, the oil and gas and everything comes out with it. But they didn't know how to store the water that they had to use for that, this like toxic water. And that's what this company did. They would basically have these huge like pool type things that they would bring on site and they would transfer them out and they'd get rid of the water. Yeah. Turns out that, uh, you know, this classic thing, but when something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And it turns out that this company was fraudulent and wow. their, fi their financials were being cooked. And, you know, I think I lost like 90% on it. <laughs> um, so that, that was a rough Yeah, that, that sounds um, like terrifying, but also kind of like a good lesson. Like how, how many companies out there do you think are kind of like scams? Cause like, okay, so it's like, I come from like the crypto world. So it's like, I'm always like scam or no scam. Like that's like the first thing that I'm like asking myself. Um, but the thing is, of course, with the stock market, like you're kind of wondering, you know, they, there's like a whole bunch of due diligence this person has to go through or this company has to go through to even list. And you still get scams in there. Like how, how do you think you identify, um, you know, what's a good company to invest in? Do you go back to the fundamentals? It's super difficult. I mean, I'm not a forensic accountant by any stretch. Um, yeah. There was one that was pretty obvious last year, though, that did turn out to be a fraud. That was Nikola Motors. It was like, that was like the hottest stock on TikTok. I'm like, what do you guys buy? They're like, it, it's kind of like, I mean, you come from the crypto world. Yeah. There's some crypto people who are like religious zealots about their cryptocurrency. Yeah. I Maxi, made a video yeah. that, that, that was like, oh, it's not even just the, the Bitcoin people. I made a video that was like, all about XRP and like I'd said a bunch of nice things about XRP, but I just said I wasn't going to hang out of my position and the, the XRP people just like blew up my comments. Came up um, after you. They're yeah, just it, like, oh, the army, the troll army. Exactly. But it was the same thing with uh, Nikola Motors. And the whole time I was like, this guy's just basically like an Elon Musk knockoff. Like even the company <laughs> name is like a knockoff on Elon. So it's like, I was like, I'm not touching this thing with a 10 foot pole. Like I do not want anything to do with this company. And lo and behold, it's that they, they turned out that they were just like rolling the car, the, their um, truck 
down a hill that actually wasn't powered. Did you see this at the time? No, but that's hilarious. I mean, like awful, but that's so funny. It's basically the company was like, had a really good graphic designer and that's what the valuation was based (laughs) off of in the end, which is like, I didn't know, I didn't have any proof that it was going to be a fraud or that there was something fishy going on. But uh, in the end, I was vindicated, I guess, a little bit. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever seen um, that meme online of like, what like what you're selling and like what you're going to like get and it's like a horse that's like half drawn and then there's like the full horse yeah but yeah it's like it's similar things to that um that's basically what happened with Nikola that was that was a bad one yeah but okay so like um usually like when I'm talking to people who are like new into investing and stuff like that they're just like where the hell do I start um do you have a methodology in your research um before you invest like I know that some people like to go on like I think it's like alpha leaks or something. Like, do you, do you have like, where do you even start to understand what you want to invest in? So it it depends on the investment. You know, some, some are more short-term trades. Like I, you know, I was turned bullish on infrastructure back in January. So I started buying some infrastructure stocks. Um, But, but overall I try and look for like long-term secular growth trends. So whether that's like e-commerce adoption or, or payment process, one of my favorite investing stats is that I think it's like it's uh, 80% of global transactions are still done with cash. And like for me, it's like I haven't used I I never use cash for literally anything ever. But that just shows you that like, you know, our younger generation, that's all that's all we know how to use. But there's still older generations and there's still developing countries that still use cash. 100%. But over time, well, definitely, I would say just from ease of convenience, or for me, I just am like a germaphobe even before COVID and hate touching cash. <laughs> Uh, I think that more people, at least, you know, I would say that number is at least going to be halved over the next, you know, 30 years or so. So I like to own payment processors. Like I own Square, I own PayPal. Um, uh, e-commerce is another good example. I think in the U.S., the statistic I saw last I saw, it's been up since COVID, but it's like 16% of U.S. retail sales were done on e-commerce platforms. It's like for me, again, too, it's like I order everything off Amazon. It's yeah. like that at least 90% of my purchases are on e-commerce platforms. So I think that's a long-term trend that will unfold as well. So I own a lot of e-commerce platforms as well. You know, Shopify, Amazon, um, I think Facebook's kind of an under the radar e-commerce player, um, especially with their Facebook marketplace, which like I'm just addicted to now. I'm always I mean, like, I sell everything on there. Yeah, it's it goes amazing. like that. It goes like hotcakes. Like if I put mm-hmm. it on anything else, it just doesn't go anywhere else. But like, yeah, I always am able to sell on on Facebook marketplace. So are you saying that like, you kind of look at, um, you try to look at long-term trends and it seems as though you have like a personal touch, like you, you invest in things that you personally use. That's definitely, I think too. I mean, that's a classic Peter Lynch thing. Um, you yeah. know, one up on wall street was all about like his famous investing book is all about how retail investors actually do have a leg up over the institutional guys because they're out there, you know, actually using these products. They, they know what regular people are using. Um, so I think that's a big thing uh, for sure. Um, and I try and apply that a little bit more if I can. Like I've had Spotify on my watch list for like two years, still haven't bought it. Um, but, you know, I use Spotify every morning. It's yeah. like, it's my go-to thing. Um, it's interesting with Spotify because it's like, um, I remember like their first ever release and using it and being like, okay, like I kind of understand like what this is. Um, and now I use it every single day, but it's like, I don't really know what the future of Spotify is. Like, I feel like it's kind of like hit hit a certain point where I'm like, I don't, I'm not really sure how much more it can grow. But then again, it's like, I thought that about Apple and like, Apple's just like, yeah, 
doesn't care what I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's the one thing that I'll put on because like I can't always that I can't always see what management sees. And it's one reason I put a, a big emphasis on the management team as well. Like I love investing in founder led companies. If I looked at my portfolio right now, I'd say it'd at least be 90% founder led because those guys, they have the original vision and they kind of see where they, for one, they know the business better than anyone else, Yeah. but they also kind of know what the long-term trajectory for that business is and see where that they can pivot you know, to, to new industries, um, you know, I don't know what it would be for Spotify. The, their last one was podcasts though, yeah. which, had, which has paid off um, gangbusters since they've started investing heavily in that space. Yeah. Um, so, Absolutely. you know, that, that's another thing too. It's like, I, I love to invest just in smart people as well. Um, that's but, a good way, good way to do it. It's like, um, I guess like looking at long-term trends, seeing if you understand that market because you're a user of that market and then seeing if you kind of like align with, I guess, the leadership in in that company. Like, I think a lot more now than ever before. Like, people are like, okay, who's the CEO behind this company? Whereas, if you look at companies that are um, actually like a lot of companies that uh, Warren Buffett invests in, you wouldn't think that um, you wouldn't think of like the CEO of that company. So, for example, Coca Cola. Like, who the hell's the CEO of Coca Cola? That doesn't come to mind. But if you think mm-hmm. about something like Tesla, you're like, oh, Elon Musk or mm-hmm. like Amazon, Jeff or Bezos. Amazon, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, like you. Like, would you say that uh, a large percentage of your audience are first-time investors? Yes, for sure. Okay. And what are the common mistakes you see them make like every single day? I mentioned it earlier about position sizing. You know, mm. people, they, they, when I tell people, like for, for me personally, I, there's different schools of thought on diversification. Some people say that um, it, it's the Stanley Druckenmiller thing where it's, you know, put all your eggs in one basket and watch that basket really closely. For me, that's not really how I do things. It's like, uh, other than a few, like Bitcoin was definitely, Bitcoin and Ethereum were definitely huge parts of my portfolio um, until relatively recently. Um, but that was mainly because I had bought them so low and they were just they were just up so much that they just became a bigger, bigger part of my investment portfolio. Um, but for me, it's like for like a stock, I don't like to have a stock more than 10% of my portfolio because it opens you up to single stock risk. And I remember the first time I said that on a live stream, and people are like, what? It's yeah. like, I have like 80% of my portfolio in Tesla. I'm like, oh, it's like, it's like, I own Tesla too. But like, you, you you just open yourself up. It's like, what if Elon Musk, God forbid, like gets in a rocket accident or something? What do you think is going to happen to Tesla stock? It's going to, it's going to crater. Uh, which I made a video on that too. Like the key man risk with Tesla is just like yeah. out the wazoo. Yeah. Um, so I think I, I really try and promote like the, the, for one, it's just like, again, it's like I come from a more traditional investing background, but just diversifying your portfolio. It's like really simple stuff. But, you know, I, I bring that up to people sometime and, and they're like, oh, no, I have like, you know, half my portfolio is plug power. I'm like, yeah. do you even know what plug power does? <laughs> <laughs> That's super interesting. So it's like you you don't have more than 10 percent exposure to certain companies in your portfolio. Did I get that right? Yeah. So it's like the, my largest, my largest position in my portfolio, it's actually an ETF. It's a cloud computing ETF called Sky, just because it's a secular growth trend. The transition, um, you know, from even just people who use like paper documents, which is still crazy, moving all that information basically from intranet to intranet under the cloud, it's still pretty early in the cycle. We're not even like halfway through that point. So that's a big long-term trend for me, but that's still very high conviction idea. Also another investing thing I do, or I know if I know it's a good investment, I can explain it in like 10 seconds. That's how you know it's a good investment in my opinion. Yeah. At least it's an indicator of being a good investment. 
like the Buffett thing is like, if I can explain an investment, like with crayon to like a fifth grader, then, yeah. then I understand it and I should invest in it. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's one that, um, uh, that, that I, that I promote diversification because they just don't know that that's a thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and I, and I try and really what I try and do too, like with the tick stock stuff and, and all this is I try and like prevent people from making the same mistakes that I've made or that I've seen other people make too. And I think that, that, that's a layup one right there. Um, diversification. Yeah. So it's like, I guess it's like you're saying uh, diversification within your stock portfolio and your investments in that. Do you think that there's wriggle room for people to invest outside of stocks? Do you think that diversification should be like, you know, zoomed out even further than just from the stock market? You mean like adding like cryptocurrency? Real estate or- Oh, 100%. Um, I, you know, I, I have a big part of my portfolio in cryptocurrency again, partially just because it's gone up so much over the last year. Um, but I think, yeah, adding real estate, you know, whether that's, you know, physical real estate or through REITs or, you know, basically I, in my portfolio, like on my Patreon, I have, I update the thing, the pie chart every month. And one of them is just inflation hedges, you know, which for me, it's like Bitcoin, it's commodities, real estate. You know, stuff that will actually, you know, hold its value during an inflationary period, which we'll see if it's transitory or not. But we're seeing some inflation right now, for sure. So I'm happy to have that part of my portfolio as well. Yeah, that's cool. So um, what I I know that when I was like reading through some of like your interviews online and stuff like that, you kind of are focusing more on um, making sure that these first time investors kind of understand like some good habits to have on the long term, because usually what happens in a bull run or like, you know, a speculative time where a lot of people are making money, um, everybody like flocks to the stock market, um, but they don't particularly, they're, they're not able to kind of, I guess, sustain, like, I guess their gains over time. So what are the best habits that first time investors can adopt in your opinion? What are the, yeah. What are the best habits? So I think another one too is, um, just to buy and hold, you know, mm. everybody wants to be like the sexy day trader guy, you know, making, <laughs> making that option plays and yeah. basically cause they see it in the movies, but like I try some of my best performing videos were just being like, you know, like 95% of day traders lose money. Right. And people yeah. are like, no, it's like, I'm making so much money on SPACs right now. This is like December, 2020. <laughs> I was like, those people are pretty quiet these days. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, just, just day trading. Like I've been doing this 10 years. Like I'm prof- professional. And it's like, I don't even day trade. I do trade options, but again, it's position sizing. I only do it with a very small amount of my portfolio and amount of capital because I know that the, there's a risk there that I could just get completely wiped out of that position pretty quick. And again, if you're not diversifying and you're like all in on some on some AMC options contract, although maybe that has paid off, maybe. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so it's it's just it's you want to size your bets correctly, and you don't want to blow your you blow up your account and set yourself back many years. You mentioned earlier, like. They're a younger audience, so it's like they can afford to make those mistakes. But again, it's like what I try and do is kind of help people avoid those mistakes. But sometimes the only way that people will learn is to lose everything, blow up an account. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, um, you know, I I try I I try my best, but, you know, it's not always going to work. Yeah. Okay. so it's like you think that, um, you know, buy and holding is like a good one. What do you think about, like, how should people measure when to sell? Because it's like, you can't always just keep all your money in the stock market, or can you? I don't know. Um, so it depends on the position, really. Um, 
Like for me right now, it's like, I think we're in a secular bull market that keeps going on for at least another three years, Mm -hmm. possibly another six in terms of like how historically, how long bull markets last. Um, But when I sell a stock, um, it's usually for a growth stock, for example, like if the, if the company stops growing their revenues more than 15%, that's usually a good time to sell. Um, but, and again, coming back to management, I keep put a huge emphasis on, on a management team when making an investment. And, um, you know, if the management team changes, something happens to the management team, um, that's usually, so I might not sell it right away, but I'm definitely going to watch it really closely to see how the new CEO uh, is, you know, changing the, the strategy for the company. Um, Cause that can change the underlying fundamentals and that's the stock price. Um, but I'll also look too, in case like the economic moat for the company is being invaded, you know, that can be, you know, a new technology that gets introduced. You know, it's like, I remember when I was first starting out, there was a, uh, there was a, a cab medallion ETF. Uh, or not, that? So not, not ETF, it was a cab. So in New York, for example, in order to drive a cab, you had to purchase these medallions that were like a million dollars, $500,000 just for, it was basically like a license for driving a cab. And there was a publicly traded equity. I think the ticker was taxi um, that would basically hold these medallions as like basically a bet on the taxi market. Yeah. So, you know, that was basically a wide moat company for a long time because they were the only game in town. But then, you know, Uber comes along and kind of erodes that company's moat over a period of time because it's a new, better technology. Um, so it's like, I'll keep a close eye on that as with that dynamic as well. Um, cause economic mode is huge. I mean, that's basically any company that I invest in, you know, I want them to have some sort of, you know, um, competitive advantage that can't be replicated by their, by their competitors. Yeah. It's like, it's really interesting. Cause it's like, it seems as though you keep like a really close eye on a lot of the changes of these, um, stocks that you're holding in your portfolio. Where do you get your information from? I read a lot. I'm like constantly reading, you know, whether that's, you know, the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, Twitter, Financial Times. Um, I'm also very thankful that, you know, I've worked in this industry for a long time. So I, I have access to a lot of, you know, really great investors that I can bounce ideas off of, you know, whether they're, they're mentors of mine or, or just people that I've met uh, over the years um, from, from my time in the investment research space. Um, and, you know, I think surrounding yourself with smart people just, just makes you smarter as well. Yeah. Um, so. Absolutely. So um, what are some underrated investments out there that people that you think people are missing? Like, is there just some of like, so an industry that you think that people are kind of like underestimating at all? So we were talking about, um, so it's not really an industry, it's more of an asset class. Hmm. Um, So for me, it's like, I like to go into markets that have just been completely decimated and kind of digging through the rubble and finding, you know, the the golden ticket in there somewhere. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of opportunities in the SPAC space right now. Because like earlier, again, you know, it was in a speculative bubble uh, going into 2021 and has since crashed. Um, and while I think SPACs are, you know, there's a, I know a bunch of guys who work in IB who have confirmed this, where it's like, there's a bunch of trash that is going public via SPACs. And yeah. they can just, you know, get around all the regulatory requirements of an IPO. Um, that said, it doesn't mean that they're all trash. And I think a lot of the ones that got completely decimated uh, over the last few months, there's some down there in there that have been unduly brought down by the rest of the market. Uh, so I've been doing a lot of research on SPACs. There's one in particular, uh, the ticker's GHVI, 
Um, I forget what the SPAC is, something acquisition company, but the company is Matterport. And what they do is they basically map out the um, the inside of, of re- their goal is to basically have a digital rendering of all real estate in the world. So mm-hmm. it's basically going to be have exposure to the eye buying market. So it's basically people buying homes online, which I think is a very natural progression. You know, we're seeing companies like Open Door, Redfin, um, and Zillow trying to break into this market. But Matterport is kind of like a picks and shovels in that industry because yeah. every, because everyone will have to use that technology unless they develop it themselves. Um, and from talking to some people who work um, in the real estate software space, Matterport is like the one that like for one that a lot of uh, real estate developers are using. Um, but once they start using those products, this is kind of where the moat comes into play. Once they start using these products, they're much less likely to switch, especially since it's a, it's a subscription-based service. Um, so that the SPACs is what I'm looking at. Um, That's interesting. Another- you're you're like one of the very few people that I've heard actually do that as like a as a strategy is to like go into um, you know markets that were pre- previously like really hot like SPACs, and then going in there once there's like this downturn and kind of like picking through all of the trash that's there. Yeah, I like to call it dumpster diving. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I did the same thing with uh, cryptocurrency in 2018 and 2019. Like I, everyone's like, because I've done a few videos on how like, because I sold a bunch of my Bitcoin once the technical picture started to get just disgusting and I didn't want to look at it anymore. Um, I still, still, they're still my two largest individual, individual positions. But the, the one reason they are so big now is because I bought them when nobody wanted cryptocurrency. This was yeah. in like 28, late 2018, 2019, um, even early 2020, when like nobody cared about Bitcoin anymore. That's when that's when my ears perk up. That's like when my spidey sense goes off where it's like, OK, I need to like go dig into this market and find, you know, stuff that's just kind of unduly beaten down. And even before that. I was writing a lot about um, the gold market and like yeah. I'm not like a gold bug by any stretch. But I saw this one piece of data. It was that hedge funds were like the most net short they'd ever been by this, this huge margin. I was like, okay, that's that makes me want to buy that. Cause, yeah. Because what when, whenever then you see this in markets all the time. Whenever everybody thinks that something is going to happen one way, it's usually the opposite happens. Like this guy I worked with, Jared Dillian, super smart guy, but he's all about sent, sentiment investing. And he likes to call the market the maximum pain generator. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's kind of what, like, I've seen it happen so many times at this point where it's like, I like to go to play, like, the SPAC boom, for example. Everyone's, like, making all this money, even that they don't even know what they're doing. I was like, well, this isn't going to last very long, clearly. And that that has since been rectified. But now it's like, now I like SPACs because no one's talking about them. And there's just, like, wreckage to dig, dig through at this point. It's um it's really interesting because it's like I I take that approach with like cryptocurrency. So it's like with me, I made my first investments um, not in the stock market, not in real estate, but actually in Bitcoin and crypto in like 2013. And I did exactly the same thing as you're doing. Like there would be these like, you know, I guess back then it wasn't really bull runs, but like the last two were like very big bull runs. And I would like not really buy anything i would just wait for like the whole market to tank and be like okay who are the survivors like in this like yeah i guess this rubble and start buying then and i think a lot of people don't realize that like investing is more of like a it's a thing that you kind of have to do like you have to maintain it over time it's not just like when things are hot you go buy like you kind of want to start looking at it when things have cooled down and that's the thing is that like whenever there's some sort of hot trend whether it's specs or growth stocks or anything 
that's when everybody wants to buy. And like yeah. the thing I'm like I do on my Patreon is like I try and like identify these trends before they happen. And then like for example, if one plays out, then everybody wants to go in and buy it. And they're like, do I do I still buy right now even though it's up like 40%? I'm like, well, you probably should have bought when I first wrote about it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like I don't know what to tell you, man. <laughs> is there um is there any sort of companies you have your eye on that are IPOing soon? Um, there are, I, I'm super bullish on Stripe again, love payment processors. Yeah. Um, but one thing with IPOs too, and this might not be how you expect me to answer this question. Um, but there's a lot of research that shows that shows that buying IPOs right out the gate is actually a bad strategy. Cause there's usually that, like, especially big hyped up IPOs there's usually that initial surge coming out the gate. And then the stock kind of like trends down over the next three to six months. So really what I do, I rarely, I think the last, it was a direct listing, so it's a little bit different, but I bought Palantir right out the gate because I had followed that company for years. I used to cover the defense space pretty thoroughly at my old job. Um, but I usually wait, you know, for that three to six months, like honeymoon period to kind of like, uh, kind of get, get out of its system. <laughs> so it's like ones that I'm looking at now though, that went public, you know, three to six months ago that I think are looking at, and you can, I mean, there's been that huge growth stock sell off, but like it, yeah. it only confirms the research that I've written about many times is that there's that huge surge out the gate for, with stocks like Airbnb. That's, that's what I'm looking close at. Um, I'm a big fan of the buy now, pay later market. So companies mm. like Affirm, I own Afterpay already. But like it's I, huge I, in Australia, huge. Like that's what any, I've heard. everywhere you go, it's like buy now, pay later. Mm-hmm. Like every ad that you see, mm-hmm. every merchant that you go to, it's there. And, and at least in America, any company that lets Americans spend money they don't have is going to be a success. So that's why I'm really bullish on that market long term. Um, but I, I think another good one, which, which actually is the exception to, to this research that I've, that I've written about before, is, is Roblox. Hmm. Um, I'm writing some, something right now, basically investing in the metaverse, um, which is still early. I don't have a ton of color to add to that yet. But I really like that it has that cult following with that. Like, it's just a bunch of little kids. Um, but they yeah. have, like, their own currency on there. It's, like, this whole little world that they're building. My um, um, my sibling, well, like, my sister, she's very, very young. And she is obsessed with Roblox. Like, she doesn't even play with her friends. Like, they just all play on this, like, metaverse. And, like, mm-hmm. they don't really care about playing. It's, it's like, playing in person is not as interesting as, like, playing mm-hmm. online together. I know. And I think COVID really accelerated that trend because they didn't really have a choice over the last year. Um, So now they're all used to that. And I think that's one of those kind of like sticky customer bases that is going to stay with that company for a long time. And then they can, you know, they can offer other services within that metaverse eventually. Um, So that, that, that's what I'm, I'm pretty bullish on long-term as well. I don't have a position in it yet, but I am bullish on it. That's really cool. Um, Okay. So Let's see. What what's your portfolio looking like? Like you said that you kind of have a range. Like, would you say that it's mostly like blue chip or uh, like SPACs, Bitcoin, crypto? How how are you kind of like positioning yourself? So overall, like I I kind of like to explain it like I have you know kind of like the fun part of my portfolio, but I'm not trying to blow myself up anytime soon. So I do have a very healthy exposure to like blue chips. Um, so I think right now it's like, I'm looking at my, my breakdown. It's like, I have 30%, 36% of my portfolio in growth stocks. And that's when I say growth stocks, you know, I probably 10% is, is high growth stuff like Twilio, CrowdStrike, 
you know, it's a lot of like Amazon and Google and Facebook and Apple. Well, Apple's not really, they're more value at this point. Um, but companies, again, that, that I'm comfortable holding for many years. Um, and then I have about 25% in blue chip value stocks, you know, really boring stuff like Berkshire Hathaway, Johnson Johnson, Disney, you know, stuff that I'm happy to hold uh, for many years. That's going to be really steady. Um, and then I bought it still about 20% in, in cryptocurrency. I took a big, I sold a bunch of it. I get, I do a lot of technical analysis and Bitcoin was just like looking like it was about to dump uh, <laughs> last month. And even in the month before, so I'll use this. Um, I mean, you're way deeper in the crypto game. Yeah. Do you know it? Um, Nupal, Nupal, net unrealized profit and loss. Yeah. yeah. So that's one that I write about a lot and the, it was at like 74, 75%. So I was starting to sell a little bit then, but then once, the, um, what was it? The 15 day cross the 50 day. That was when I was like, oh shit, this chart looks like death. It's done. Uh, I, I don't think it's done, but I, I think it, it was a bad sign. So I sold a bunch. And also, like I was saying too, it's like, I, I try to practice what I preach a little bit too. And yeah. my crypto portfolio had become like, you know, 30% of my net worth, 25% of my net worth. So I was like, I was like, uh, it's like, I, I kind of need to trim this a little bit. So that was a good excuse to do that. Um, so I'm actually sitting on a good bit of cash right now, honestly. Um, but yeah, so it's, you know, it's mo mostly growthy, growthy stuff in the portfolio, but also a very healthy um, uh, allocation to, to blue chips as well. Yeah, that's cool. Um, you know, you said you're sitting on a lot of cash right now. What do you feel about inflation? Um, so I'm kind of torn on this subject because mm. we are certainly seeing inflation, um, you know, and so whether it's, you know, lumber or steel, you know, commodities yeah. have been going bananas this year. Um, but again, everybody thinks we're going to have inflation. Everybody thinks we're going to have this high, we're going to be in this inflationary environment for a while because all, all the fiscal stimulus and monetary stimulus we've done over the last year. But when everybody thinks one way, I usually try and like take the other side of that the other side of that coin because it's already priced in and that's another thing too i think inflation's already priced in especially yeah. the growth stocks um and if you look at it um you know this the cpi data looks kind of crazy right now because it's all being compared to the 2020 data where it's like there was no demand for anything really at a certain point so it, it looks really high but if you go back and compare it to 2019 it's actually not that high so that's not to say like I think we're like the inflation story is like total BS or something. But yeah, I but don't, we're not going to become like the next Zimbabwe. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I think that stuff like the perma bears, like the the Fed is like evil, all that stuff. Is, Burr, is, like yeah. no. <laughs> I know it's like I think that stuff. Like I'm not a huge fan of like central banking, but like I yeah. don't think that they're evil and that they're like destroying the dollar and all this stuff. Uh, I've worked with a lot of people who are, and they are perpetually wrong. So that's, I learned that from an early, early age, not to, not to buy into that stuff too much. Yeah, that's cool. I, you know, it's, it's, it's refreshing talking to you because I feel like you have like a, a balanced view of the market. Like you don't seem to be like, um, you don't like identify yourself with the market too much. You're actually just looking at like the fundamentals of like, is this a good company or not? Like, is this a real market trend? Um, and I think that's really healthy. Like a lot of people, they kind of like, like, I know, especially in the crypto community, people are just like, this is my identity. I'm going to like live and die by this sword. And like, if you're against Bitcoin, then you're against freedom. It's like, actually, that's really dangerous. <laughs> 
Yeah, I try and be measured with, with really, and for one thing, I try to do this with all aspects of my life. I try and understand both sides of any argument because anyone who has a very strong argument one way or the other, they're probably not doing it maliciously. They probably have a good reason to believe that. Mm-hmm. So I really try and understand both sides because I really don't, if you don't understand both sides of the argument too, then you really don't understand your own argument either. Yeah. Um, so I really try and keep a measured approach with investing, try to not be a religious zealot, especially like you're saying that you come from the crypto community. So you oh, are way more familiar with this than me. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, the Bitcoin maxi people or like, or like how you're saying, like if you're against Bitcoin, like you hate freedom. It's just like, yeah. well, that's a, that's a straw man, man. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so, you know, like you said that you have like mentors, you have people that you go to yourself, like who are the creators and like mentors that you personally like, you know, work with, I guess, or like who you surround yourself with? Yeah. So what one is definitely Jared Dillian. Um, he's got a pretty big Twitter following at this point. He's a New York Times bestseller. I was actually his analyst for about three and a half years back at Malden Economics when he first joined the company. So I got to work with him for, for a really long time. He's just a super smart guy. Um, everybody go follow him on Twitter. He, he's a, he's a, he's a really good follow. Definitely like a more of a contrarian too. Yeah. Um, which I think is, is how that's probably where I get it from a little bit too. Um, but guys like that, um, guys like John Malden, he was the chairman at our company, super bright guy as well. Super, super open, open-minded guy, especially for being, I think he's like 74 now, mm. but he just released this great article the other day like totally in favor of like Kathy Wood. A lot of those like traditional investing guys are like, you know, who, which, which investors do you remember from like the original tech bubble? She's like, Kathy Wood's going to be this. He's like, no, he's like, that's, he's like, he says it in like his very nice Texan way, but he's like, you guys are idiots. Is basically what he was saying. The Texans Um, have a way about them. Like they can say something so harsh, but you're like, is that a compliment? (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's definitely John to a T. Um, so I always read his stuff too. You know, I've, I'm biased cause I've, I've worked with both those guys for years. Um, but those are definitely the two that I probably follow the closest. And then there's other ones that, you know, I just follow them on Twitter, but I get a lot of good ideas from guys like Raul Paul, who I have met before, um, at our Malden conference uh, years ago. From Real um, Vision, right? The founder yeah, from of Real, Real Vision. Vision. Yeah. yeah. And the, his co-founder too, Grant Williams, who, when I, he was my first editor I worked for in the investment research space. A super nice guy, super smart guy, and Australian too. Um, I think he actually lives in Sydney as well, last I heard. Um, but but really smart and bright guy. A little bit too bearish for me these days. But again, you know, I try and read like all as as much many opinions diverse. I, I never like to kind of like confirm my own biases either, which I think is helpful with investing. That's so healthy. And um, you know, I know that after people listen to this, they're really going to want to get in touch with you. So what's the best way they they can do that? Yes, yeah, so you can contact me on, on Instagram or TikTok. My, my account is TikStocks, T-I-K, and then Stocks. Um, I also have a Patreon where I publish, um, you know, premium research every week. Just sent out a, a great report today on a cool, it's like not the sexiest business, but it's a pipeline company. I'm just really bullish on oil right now. So it's yeah. all about my, and again, it, it actually talks about what we were just talking about. Uh, the craziest thing I've ever seen in markets is when oil went to negative $40 last year. Yeah. And in hindsight, that's like exactly what we're talking about, where it's that was the time to buy. That was like the, the bell ringing by the market being like, this is like an insane thing that's happening. But it's like it was in hindsight, that was the perfect time to add to the position. Um, so it's talking a lot about that. Um, and then, yeah, and, and then Twitter, it's TikToks as well. So that's great. And you have a newsletter still or no? 
Yes, I, pub I published it on Patreon. Uh, so I used to have one with Malden, but I've since left to start my own company. It's currently being published on Patreon. Um, so that's uh, TikToks on Patreon, um, but it'll be on a standalone website here pretty soon too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on Prosper Podcast. It was awesome. Um, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Yeah, great. Great. Thanks for having me. Add it up.